I have been watching a lot of Christmas movies because it's that time of year, right? And um, love them. And there's something about the end of some of those movies that I get teary. Every year I get more teary and a little tingly and I just love them, right? It's this magical moment that happens. Like we have the Christmas Carol, right? Um, The one with the puppets. I think there's ones without Muppets, but that's my that's my favorite. We got Scrooge in there, right? He's he's terrible and mean and selfish, and then the ghosts come and we see Christmas cheer bubble up, and all of a sudden at the end there's this moment where he's generous. He goes from you know hoarding his stuff and not sharing or or caring, or and then he's this generous guy. This the Christmas spirit bubbles up in him, and we love seeing that happen, right? Or we watch The Grinch. And, you know, his tiny, I love just the, the visual of it, his tiny heart, and then it grows even bigger. He gets such an enlarged heart, you know, it like explodes, which actually I think is probably unhealthy. Um, from personal experience, having my heart got a little enlarged at one point in my life, uh, I think that was not healthy. Um, but we love that moment right when the Grinch starts to glow because of Whoville's still seen and the Christmas spirit is still flowing and his heart grows and then it, he becomes again generous and loving and it's this magical moment. Even though it's a it's a cartoon, I'm still like, oh, I love it. It feels so great, right? We love at the end of all the Hallmark movies and the Lifetime movies, those moments where everything comes together and the Christmas spirit like changes people. And of course, in uh, some movies, they even have like a clausometer, an elf. We hear that, um, you know, all the people have lost uh, their Christmas spirit and, you know, elf comes to save the day and the clausometer goes up and only because everyone starts singing again and believing in Christmas and then that moment when the sleigh flies over everyone. Yeah, it's Christmas time. Love it, right? Love it. Those moments. I I, the, I've seen Elf so many times and I still love that moment's coming and I'm like, yes, here it comes. That moment where this power of the Christmas spirit just compels people to be generous and kind and love people. I, I mean, how many stories are of Christmas movies are really that story, right? And um, I, I love that. And I'm excited because this story of, of O Holy Night, the story it's telling of the Christmas story reminds us of the power, the real power that is in the gospel. The power that does bring people together, that makes people family, that causes people to love people. And it's not just a a Christmas thing. Christmas just reminds us of the moment when God came to earth in the flesh to make this gospel power available to us. Before we get to too much into that, I want to tell you the story of O Holy Night, how it really reminds us of that sweet power. O Holy Night, the hymn, was written in 1847. It was put together by a composer named Adolf Adam, um, and he used the words of a guy named Placid Capo. Capo, Capo, Placid Capo. I tried hard to learn how to pronounce these. So Adams and Capot together um, composed words from a poem, and Adam composing the music put together O Holy Night as, uh, as a hymn. What The story goes that in the town, 
that Placid was from, there was a small church and they had built a new organ and they wanted to celebrate like the first uh, you know, use of this organ. And so the priest in that town uh, in southern France asked, commissioned him and asked him if he would write a poem. Uh, and they used the words to that poem then to make the hymn, O Holy Night which is really special and sweet. And it was sung in that church and sung in other churches. But pretty quickly, the hymn actually um, was banned or not put into hymnals in some churches uh, for a few different reasons. Um, one reason being they found out that the, the two men who had written this and created this, that neither the, one of them was part of the church and uh, one of them was even like an outspoken atheist. And so they said it wasn't created in like the spirit of God. And so they weren't, they weren't uh, willing to let allow people to sing it. Also, it was banned in some places because of the language in one of the verses that talks about uh, slaves being set free uh, and their oppressors and them becoming family, brothers. And so there was regions uh, in France and in Europe and in the world that were not okay with the, that language because there were places that had slavery or had enslaved people. And so they, they didn't like singing hymns that talked about not enslaving people. Interesting, huh? Very interesting. And so this hymn, though, did grow in some popularity um, in the world. Let, let's, let's look at the hymn, actually, to see some of those words. Um, these, these are the words that were written by Placid uh, for his, his like, kind of home, the church in his hometown. O holy night, the stars are brightly shining. It is the night of our dear Savior's birth. Long lay the world in sin and error pining till he appeared and the soul felt its worth. A thrill of hope, the weary world rejoices for yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. I love that, a thrill of hope, the weary world rejoices. If you remember last week, we looked at Jesus saying, come to me, I'll give the weary rest. And this is what we're talking about here. Uh, the, the weary world rejoices because someone has come to defeat sin and death and, and give us rest. And yonder breaks a new and glorious day uh, because Jesus has come, right? Fall on your knees. Oh, hear the angels' voices. Oh, night divine. Oh, night when Christ was born. Oh, night divine. Oh, night. Oh, night divine. This divine night when Jesus has come. Now, in the, th the third verse is the one that we're going to look at a little bit more in the history of that verse today. It says, truly, he taught us to love one another. His law is love and his gospel is peace. Chains shall he break for the slave is our brother. And in his name, all oppression shall cease. Sweet hymns of joy and grateful chorus raise we. Let all within us praise his holy name. So this third verse is the one that was getting uh, some people, not in trouble, but this is the one that was getting the hymn taken out of some um, churches. But it's also, as the history of O Holy Night continues, it was the verse that caught the attention um, of a man in America. Um, this caught the attention of John Sullivan Dwight. Um, John Sullivan Dwight um, was a Unitarian uh, minister who found this song and loved it because of the third verse. And in 1855, he wrote not even 10 years after it was originally wrote, he wrote an English version of this and, and published it. And people began to sing it. And because he was part of the abolitionist movement, the people trying to stop slavery, it quickly became an anthem for the people in that movement. 
abolitionists around the United States um, were, would sing this song, and not necessarily even just at Christmas, but they would sing this song because of that verse and a reminder of Jesus has come to end uh, lots of things, but especially end this slavery, this oppression of one person over another. Then interesting that cool to think there's abolitionist groups that were in our country that would gather together and they would sing Oh Holy Night um, as a not just a hymn but as an anthem to the fight that they were in. Many abolitionists were were Christians and they gained their courage and that fight to end slavery from their love for Jesus. So this hymn became really a reminder of them of the power of the gospel that could break the chains of slavery, the physical, uh, the actual physical situation, but also the spiritual chains that people were in. Now, many times um, scripture was used, twisted and misused to support slavery. And there are stories of, of groups of abolitionists singing this song, singing the verse of O Holy Night in response to people misusing scripture to say it's okay that we have slaves. How how cool is that to think we sing this on Christmas and there's moments in history where this was sung to share the gospel truth that our chains have been broken and that we are called to love one another and not oppress, enslave one another. I mean, can you imagine this? Can you imagine Frederick Douglass, which is in this photo here, uh, 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 early, it's like 1850, I think, uh, a picture of him and some abolitionist meeting to discuss how they're going to help end slavery. Or, or Harriet Tubman or Sojourner Truth gathering together to sing O Holy Night. Well, the Civil War did come and it did end. And we know that um, slavery uh, did end. People were emancipated in in our country. And, and, and lots of hard things continued after that with Jim Crow and things. But in the moment when the Civil War ended, the history of O Holy Night uh, continues. And it continues with a man named Charles Octavius Booth. He's a man, I, I just recently in my life discovered him. And I've been very encouraged by him. In 1866, as he gained his freedom as a slave from Alabama, he also came to know Jesus. He had grown up his whole life uh, in a church, even as a slave going to church uh, with uh, local white people in his community and African-Americans in his community together. And he saw um, and heard the gospel many times, but he says he didn't, it didn't really land, didn't really change his heart um, until right when he actually gained his like physical freedom, he gained his spiritual freedom as well. Now, that's not the end of his story. He actually uh, trained and became an ordained minister in just three years and ended up planting two churches. One of those churches, uh, less than 100 years later, being a church that was led by Martin Luther King Jr. He, he's really a, a grandfather uh, of a lot of the civil rights movement and a lot of the this, this spiritual movement that happened within that. He saw fellow black uh, emancipated former slaves around him that had little education, many um, not able to read or haven't had the opportunity to read. And so he wanted to create opportunities to help people read and be educated and get jobs. So he actually wrote something called the Plain Theology for
for plain people. And all that is, is he wrote like a systematic theology book or a book about the basic doctrine or the basic beliefs of the church. He wanted people to learn the Bible and learn kind of how does life work? How does, how do things play out? How does God work? And so he wrote this book so that people could understand it. Because a lot of the, the options at that point were really academic and really un, hard to understand. So he wrote this book in order to help people in his community and his church understand G, the Bible and, and follow Jesus more. He ended up planting those two churches. And in those churches in Alabama, he had people sitting in the pew, singing together, hearing him preach that had been former slaves and slave owners, or at least participated in slavery. I mean, can you imagine that in the room they had this? And this is where our history of a holy night continues. Because uh, Pastor Booth would have his church sing, Oh, Holy Night, that they had learned from abolitionists who had come and sang it with them. People in his church would sing out these words that we are family, that the power of the gospel frees us and eliminates oppression and eliminates slavery. I mean, there's people sitting there who one was looked down upon as if they were less than human and one was held up higher almost as divine acting above almost taking God's place and acting as if people seeing them as if they're below. And the, what the gospel does is free those people and makes them image bearers of God in God's family. What the gospel does is humble the other people and shows them that they're just image bearers, sinners. And so it makes people saints and it makes them sinners and, to, and it makes them family together. It's this incredible, powerful thing. And he saw that and he saw the power of that. And he spent his ministry helping those people love each other. What an insane, crazy, amazing ministry. I, I'm so encouraged by him that he would hear the words of that verse in O Holy Night, the third verse here. Truly, he taught us to love one another. He said, if the power of the gospel has changed us, we can do this. And so he would encourage his people to love one another. His law is love and his gospel is peace. Chains shall break for the slave is our brother. He would preach to his people, we are now brothers. They are not less than human. They are, they are human beings created in God's image who are family now. And in his name, all oppression shall cease. And he would say, those who oppressed you, are also your family in Christ. The gospel is powerful enough to make those people family. Hey, that's incredible. And he, he would teach that and encourage that. And in his book, Plain Theology for Plain People, um, he says this about the power of that love then that comes from knowing the gospel. What a power the believer in Christ will be in this world. This is the power that comes through the gospel. Where such multitudes are hateful and hating one another, when they all come to abound in deep, pure, fervent love to God and to their neighbors. How they will be stimulated to labor, to give, to work, right? To be generous and give and to pray for the gathering of every creature in the world into the fold of Christ. Our, the power of the gospel changes us to want to see all people into God's family. 
when they love God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit with all their heart and soul and might and mind and strength and really and truly love their neighbor as themselves. He's, he's preaching that to a room of people who, who grew up, who lived a life hating one another, who taught they should hate each other. Even scripture was used at times to say you should hate one another. And he's saying the power of the gospel is that that love of God changes us so that we can love our neighbors in a way. And not just just love them, but love them in a way that, that will invite them into the family of God. That power of the gospel came through that baby at Christmas, and that power will free people. It will make them family and it will move people to love in a way that will invite others into the family. It, incredible. And that's the same hymn that we're singing today. We join those abolitionists, those little churches in France that originally sang this, and we join Charles Octavius Booth and his churches in singing these words because they're true. They remind us of the power that comes in the gospel, the power that's so much greater than just the power that makes the clausometer go up so Santa's sleigh will fly, right? This makes real lives changed. Now, we see this in scripture um, as we look uh, first even to just the book of Romans. We see in the beginning of Romans, in Romans 1.16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it's the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. Just like in a holy night, we bend our knee, right? We fall to our knees and we say, yes, Jesus, you're the one who has rescued us. You're the one who has loved us so much that you'd come and die for us. And, and, and that is the power of God that saves us, that breaks the chains spiritually in our lives. And we hear not only does the gospel do that, but the gospel also makes us family. In Ephesians 1, we hear, for he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. Think This is before there was a baby in a manger, before there were God's people rebelling, before there was an exile, before there was a flood, or there was a tower of Babel, or before any of that before a garden was created for Adam and Eve, God said, I, I want those people. I love my people. And then it says, in love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his will and pleasure. It was his pleasure and his will to bring us into his family, to make us his sons and daughters to adopt us as orphans, right? Ruled by hate and darkness and chaos and bring us into the family of light. I mean, this is wild stuff. So not only does it save us, it makes us family. This is what we're singing in a holy night. This, it breaks the chains and it makes us family. This is incredible, this reality. And not only that, we're also reminded that we love because he first loved us. We don't just love because it's good to do. We don't just love because people stand up and start singing Christmas carols and it makes us feel gooey. We love because we saw it happen in Christ and he gives us the power to do it. It changes our hearts and we love because he first loved us. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. He's saying this love is so essential. 
that if our hearts are changed and we're made family, then we love each other. And if, if we're not loving each other, then have our hearts been changed? Have we knelt down to Jesus? For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God for they have not, whom they have not seen. We, we love God first. We kneel to him and he changes us. That power is, is enormous. And he has given us this command. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. I love this first John passage. It just keeps saying the same thing. If you love God, his power is going to cause you to love others. Can you imagine Pastor Booth reading this in his church to a, a room of people who in their lifetime have oppressed the other group or have been oppressed by the other group? And he's saying the love of God is so powerful that it will allow us to love each other. I get a little uh, teary always at the end of Elf when that Santa sleigh flies or when the Grinch's heart expands and they're singing the Whoville song. But man, I am moved. Oh, how we should be moved by the power of the gospel that frees us, that makes us family, that gives us a love that can love even those who hate us, who have hurt us. That's why we sing, O Holy Night, to remember the night when Jesus was born because he comes with the power that changes us, rescues us. That's such good news. And that is why we end our service by taking communion together. And so hopefully you have some communion supplies. If you don't, you can run and grab those quick. Um, I just have some bread and a little cup of juice here. We're going to take a moment to um, sing O Holy Night again together. I encourage you to take communion then, reflect on, uh, on the reality that Jesus has come to die and his blood is shed, his body broken in your place so that you can be free, so that we can love. His enormous amount of love towards us in his crucifixion and death that allows us to love that power. And that, So take communion and consider that. Maybe consider even who are those people that are hard to love? Do I believe the power of God can work in me to still Love them. And, and do I even believe that I'm loved? Maybe it's a moment to, to reflect on how loved you are and just, just settle into that. Um, maybe it's a moment to just be thankful for the saints that have come before us and how God has used them. We're going to sing the Holy Night now um, together and take communion at that time. And then after that, I'll come back and just pray for us as we um, are sent out. So let's sing and reflect now together. Amen. Um, let me pray for us as we head out. We're not going to have an after service um, connection time this week, um, but we will still have one next week and a before the service connection time next week. Um, excited for you to join us next week as we start the new year and we start um, our study, our look into the book of Hebrews and remembering how Jesus is greater. Uh, I'm really excited for that. I hope you have a great New Year's. I hope your week is uh, restful and a blessing. Uh, we love you and are excited that you're here with us today. Uh, let me pray and, and we'll head out. Lord, you are good to us. On that night divine, you came in the flesh and you would go on to defeat sin and death. And that power in that, that raised you from the dead is the power that is within us. 
that allows us to love those around us. Not even, not just the easy people to love, but the, the hard people to love. And that that love could change the world. It could change people's lives. And, and I pray would bring people into the family of God. Oh, we love you. You are good to us. I pray a blessing over our church and, our, and all of us as we're sent out this week to be those people who bring that love to others, inviting them into the family of God. We love you, Lord. You are good. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.